Pizza. Pizza? Pizza. Hunger for some pizza now? Yeah, that's what we thought. Get yours at Domino's Hawaii. We deliver aloha. This podcast is sponsored by Kapili Solar Roofing, building peace of mind one roof at a time. Kids City Adventure, Hawaii's only indoor luxury playground. And Long's Drugs. Download the CVS app today and make Long's a part of your day. Aloha no, welcome to This Is Now. Happy President's Day on this Monday. Yeah, it was a deadly weekend on Oahu. Honolulu police are investigating two separate murders. <laughs> The most recent being on Sunday when police say a 26-year-old man was stabbed to death after an altercation at an after-hours club in the Ala Moana area. Two other men were also stabbed, a 25-year-old and a 26-year-old. Those two were treated and released. It comes less than 24 hours after HPD's homicide unit on Saturday responded to a 39-year-old man being shot and killed in Makaha. A witness reported that the 39-year-old victim had been arguing with hunters about the hunter's dog attacking the victim's steer. The argument escalated when one of the hunters shot the victim. HPD says a 17-year-old was arrested in the Makaha case. Police are still searching for the suspect involved in the Ala Moana case. A motorcyclist is in the hospital after he was hit by a car Saturday morning. Honolulu EMS responded to Kalakaua Avenue and Pau Street around 10 a.m. Officials say the 30-year-old suffered serious injuries. It was just about a year ago when 16-year-old Sarah Yarrow was hit and killed while in a marked crosswalk on her way to McKinley High School. Over the weekend, dozens of people gathered at that very spot to raise awareness around the circumstances of her death. Their message is bold and very clear. So we're bringing awareness today on slowing down. Justice for Sarah, slow down, drive with aloha, all to honor the life of Sarah Yara, who was tragically taken about a year ago. I think that last year this was one of the saddest things that happened in our community. And as we learn more about the details of the driver, it became more clear what we needed to do. Tam and those involved here are united with Sarah's mom, petitioning lawmakers for stricter laws and are behind a bill that will require people caught driving without a license to have their cars impounded by HPD or towed after their third offense. Sarah Yarrow was allegedly killed by this man, Mitchell Miyashiro. Court records show he had multiple traffic citations yet continued to drive without a license. One mom who supports the bill is Kim Iwamoto. She also believes whether you're driving or walking, we all need to do our part to make our roads safe. We all need to be uh, much more mindful about whether we're pedestrians or whether we're driving. We just need to drive slower, more mindfully, um, and be aware of what's going on around us at all times. The bill is currently making its way through the state legislature. A surprise admission from an American murder suspect in Germany today. Now, the Michigan man admitted to killing a fellow U.S. tourist and injuring another woman at a famous German castle. Ian Lee has more. 31-year-old Troy Philip B., hit his face as he arrived in a German courtroom for his murder trial Monday. But the Michigan native exposed his guilt, admitting to raping and killing a fellow American. It happened on a secluded hiking trail near Bavaria's famous Neuschwanstein Castle last June. Lawyers for Troy B. say he acted spontaneously 
when he sexually assaulted a 21-year-old American tourist, pushing her down a steep slope, killing her. He also admits pushing the woman's 22-year-old friend down the same ravine. She survived. Hundreds of tourists were in the area, including Eric Abderi from New York, who filmed the rescue and arrest. And he just had a frown on his face. He didn't say anything. He had a sort of disturbed look. Lawyers say the Michigan suspect is deeply ashamed about his actions and wants to apologize to families of the victims. His trial is set to run through the middle of next month, and he faces up to life in prison if convicted. Ian Lee, CBS News, London. An update now on the health of former President Jimmy Carter. The 39th president marked one year in hospice care on Sunday. His grandson, Jason Carter, told CBS's Sunday morning, while the family has no expectations for his body, his spirit is as strong as ever. Jimmy Carter is the oldest living U.S. president in history at age 99. He has survived metastatic brain cancer, liver cancer, and a number of health scares, including brain surgery after a fall in 2019. Carter entered hospice care after a series of hospital stays last year. He also survived the loss of his wife, Rosalind. She died last November at the age of 96. The Carter family issued a statement on Sunday that said in part, it's grateful for the many expressions of love they have received and the continued respect for their privacy during this time. Republicans in South Carolina go to the polls on a Saturday. It's the next state in the race to lock up the GOP nomination. Former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley is South Carolina's former governor, but she's trailing former President Donald Trump, who remains the front runner despite his legal issues. Skylar Henry has more. Nikki Haley used the President's Day holiday to meet as many voters as possible in her own bid to become president. We're in all these small towns, we're in the big areas, we're in the small areas, and it's touching hands, it's answering questions, and it's reminding them, one, what we did in South Carolina, and the fact that we could be that successful in America. With just five days to go until the South Carolina primary, Haley is trailing in the polls in her home state by double digits. She's downplaying the possibility of a win, saying instead that she wants to be competitive. We're going to keep on doing what we're doing. We've got people excited in South Carolina. They're ready to vote. They've already started early voting. We'll see what happens on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we're headed to Michigan. Haley has been sharpening her attacks on Trump's foreign policy while the former president is focused on his various legal battles. The judges and prosecutors that were dealing with me are essentially all the same. Different wrappings, tone, manner but always the same coordinated and overly nasty result. They are nasty. Trump campaigned in Michigan over the weekend and took aim at the latest court ruling in New York, where he was ordered to pay more than $350 million in fines. The case is a complete and total sham. It's a sham case. Many Trump supporters agree. I think some of it is politically motivated, obviously. The timing and everything is just kind of, oh, really? <laughs> You're going to do this to him now while he's running for president again? Trump will hold a rally in Greenville, South Carolina on Tuesday night. Skyler Henry, CBS News, the White House. An iguana was captured Saturday afternoon outside a home on Ka'au Iki Place in Waimanalo. Witnesses say the reptile was between three and four feet long. The Department of Agriculture was notified and safely removed the animal. 
Although there are believed to be established populations of iguanas in some areas of Oahu, it is illegal to import, possess, or transport the reptile in Hawaii. The invasive species is known to disturb bird nestlings and feed on eggs. Well, this President's Day was a beautiful Monday for thousands of runners taking part in this year's Great Aloha Run. Our Casey Lund takes us there. Well, that's it. The 40th annual Great Aloha Run wrapped up right here at Aloha Stadium. 12,000 runners plus started at Aloha Tower. We were there early this morning talking to those runners, some of them doing this race for the very first time. I'm feeling really good. Now, have you ever ran the Great Aloha Run before? No. Excited? You're here yeah. with your family? Yeah, this is my grandparents. Okay, how, how fast do you think you're going to be able to run it? I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe three hours. Three hours? Know. No, you'll do quicker than that. We're excited and uh, yeah, we're awesome. Feel awesome. Ready for do this. Yeah. Okay. And is this our first time? Uh, this is actually my second time, but my first time with him. So we're we're excited. Yeah. yeah it's like a blessing. Oh, I'm feeling great. Like you know, just to see you know everybody out here, all kind of different culture, ethnicity. So it's it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it kind of brings unity together. So, yeah, definite um, definition of aloha. Well, we're doing it today on because we got our family here, the kids. Yeah, so we're gonna do it as a group so thing. Yeah. 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 As a family. Yeah. What's it like crossing the finish line after something like this? Uh, what's that feeling you get? It's rewarding. You know, it's like the best feeling ever that we finished it. That eight-mile course, all flat, but it can be deceiving. The advice from professionals is to pace yourself. But that wasn't the case for the first person to cross the finish line, Davis Kahanui, a Kamehameha grad. He crossed the finish line in 42 minutes and one second. The first female to cross the finish line here at Aloha Stadium, Ariel Zlotnik. She finished in 49 minutes and 11 seconds. Again, this is a family event. We spoke to Carol Kai about her vision when she started this race 40 years ago. Jack Scaff, who was my co-founder with me, uh, who is, no, is in heaven, uh, he would be so happy that we've we've made it to 40 yeah. years and it's it's just tremendous because the people of Hawaii have been so supportive and people from all over the world actually in that time it's raised millions of dollars for hundreds of nonprofits and other organizations right here in Hawaii Hawaii Pacific Health's a senior vice president of communication and marketing John McNamara says this fits in and aligns with their goals as a company and at the finish line, that sweet relief and that feeling of accomplishment after a hard race ran. It's beautiful, nice and cool. Enjoyed it very much. I'm tiring. I, my legs are sore. One under the uh, underpasses, it's in the shade. I don't know, good, uh, good aloha spirit. It's just nice. And we want to thank Carol Kai, all the runners that participated in this year's Great Aloha Run. It was a beautiful day for it. We'll send things back into the studio for now. Thank you so much, Case. Let's take a live look outside at Washington, D.C. This is the White House. Temperature there is 46 degrees on this President's Day. We're going to have your local forecast and what you can expect this week with Guy Hagi after this quick break. The windy conditions that we have today are going to continue unimpeded into the weekend. So get used to these winds. They'll be running pretty swift at times up to of 30 miles an hour, especially through Thursday. And then on Friday, they kind of shift a little bit more to the east. But for the most part, these breezy traders are here to stay. And that means great air quality until while they're here, as well as uh, lower humidity levels. Not really an issue. Uh, and you can see we're expecting lots of sunshine as well. Now, during this time frame, when the winds are blowing 
brisk and breezy. Even though we don't put it up there, there is a chance for a few stray showers, mainly for windward neighborhoods, but they won't amount to very much because whatever rain comes in will also be moving out very quickly. The next chance for meaningful rainfall is an approaching front, likely to come in sometime on Friday with more showers Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Not going to be a washout, but Kauai expected to get the most rain, while windward and Mauka areas expected to get a brunt of those showers as well. And then you can see the temperatures in the overnight hours. They'll be especially cool, and that cool air mass will continue at least through Thursday. At warmest, we might get into the low 80s. Severe weather is impacting both coasts. In Florida, storms forced NASCAR's Daytona 500 to be postponed, and in the west, severe rain is causing evacuations in California. Liz Kruitz has the latest. Night, whipping winds and heavy rain taking aim out west. Officials issuing evacuation warnings in parts of Southern California as another atmospheric river dumped up to an inch of rain an hour on the already soaked region. The rain causing massive mudslides to block a rural highway while uprooted trees have toppled power lines. The Storm Prediction Center highlighting a rare tornado risk for the Central Valley, impacting 3 million people this afternoon. In higher elevations, heavy snow is blanketing the Sierra Nevada mountains. Four feet is expected to pile up with wind gusts reaching 60 miles per hour, making for dangerous driving conditions. In all, 35 million people are under flood alerts with up to eight inches of rain expected over the next few days. It all adds to the more than 14 inches that soaked Southern California just two weeks ago. The back-to-back -back storm systems causing more than 500 mudslides. This is wild. Officials worry this latest round of rain will lead to even more flooding and damage. Just a tornado. On the East Coast, a different storm system spawning a possible tornado in the Florida Everglades. Thunderstorms forcing a temporary ground stop at Miami International. While NASCAR's Daytona 500 was postponed for just the third time in the race's history. Improving conditions should allow the race to get back on track this afternoon. But back out west, this days-long storm system is just getting started. Firefighter uniforms are meant to protect the men and women that serve our community. But what if they weren't as safe as we thought? Our Emily Cristobal looks into the issue, along with a possible solution found by a group of Hawaii students. Braving dangerous conditions and temperatures that can surpass 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit, firefighters need gear that can protect them. But a group of UH students found that their suits could be harmful. Under layers of protective gear, firefighters are able to go into some of the hottest conditions to save lives. But among the fire-resistant material are toxic chemicals known as PFAS. It's primarily meant to repel water and contaminants like oil and prevent moisture-related burns. But it's also been known to cause cancer. What we identified is that firefighters, after their retirement, uh, they have an increased risk of uh, contracting these cancers. According to the CDC, cancer is the leading cause of death among firefighters. And while they are exposed to more carcinogens due to their line of duty putting out fires, research suggests one factor could be the very suits on their backs. The Honolulu Fire Department confirmed the liners in their protective turnout gear contain PFAS. 
adding that firefighters take numerous measures to ensure their safety. So if a suit's compromised, um, you know, we're talking about punctures, we're talking about rips or whatnot, and it's its ability to be um, put onto the skin and go into the bloodstream through that. There's reasons to why even in the policies and how firefighters use the suits, it states that they cannot use it unless it's for the work. That's why the students felt the need to act and research sustainable materials that can be used to create gear that's chemical free. That is our whole purpose. We want to protect and serve those that are protecting and serving our lives. The team comprised of 10 students known as Inferno Tech pitched their idea to reinvent firefighter suits as part of a NASA competition. And while they didn't receive the winning prizes, their work is far from over. Getting that in the hands of firefighters um, kind of for me will be a, a way to say that, oh, we made an impact, right? We did something and uh, we didn't let money or we didn't let other things or politics get in the way of it. It was that they needed it and we gave it to them. Now the team is heading back to the drawing board where they're tweaking their design in hopes of one day creating a prototype. This is Emily Cristobal for Hawaii News Now. Today marks the Day of Remembrance, commemorating the incarceration of nearly 125,000 Japanese Americans in internment camps during World War II. Among them, actor and civil rights activist George Takei. Annalisa Burgos has more. Hello out there. I'm Mr. Sulu of Star Trek. Before Sulu and the crew of the Starship Enterprise went where no man has gone before on Star Trek, George Takei experienced a very different journey. On February 19, 1942, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in the, with, in the height of uh, insanity, uh, uh, of racism, signed Executive Order 9066, which ordered all Japanese Americans on the West Coast to be summarily rounded up and imprisoned in 10 barbed wire prison camps with no charge, no trial, no due process. The son of Japanese Americans from Northern California, Takei was sent to live on an internment camp with his parents, brother, and sister. One of the soldiers pointed the bayonet at our father right in front of our eyes and ordered us out of our home. That is one morning that is seared into my memory. I, I will never be able to forget that. Innocent people who had nothing to do with Pearl Harbor. And we were categorized as enemy alien. How crazy is that? Takei described the terrible conditions they endured, living in a racetrack horse stall and shipped to a camp in Arkansas, where he recited the Pledge of Allegiance every day at a makeshift school. I remember with my hand on my chest saying, with liberty and justice for all every morning. But right outside my window, a schoolhouse window, I could see the barbed wire fence and the sentry tower and with the armed uh, so, uh, soldiers staring down at us. Deemed disloyal by the U.S. government, Takei's family was moved to the largest and most militarized camp at Tuli Lake. After the war, Takei spent the next 80 years doing community service, fighting against injustice, and sharing his story. In 1988, President Ronald Reagan formally apologized for the incarcerations and granted each survivor $20,000 in reparations. But Takei's father didn't live to see it. That was the most painful part of uh, an otherwise 
uh, very uh, inspiring event. And, but my mother said, yes, daddy's not here, but daddy always knew that this day would be coming. Takei says the lessons learned from World War II need to be retaught. He still gives public talks about fighting for democracy. As we <laughs> say on Star Trek, live long and prosper. Okay, let me try that. I there have lived a long time <laughs> and I prosper by having these opportunities to talk to you. What would Sulu say about our society now? I, I sir, warp three. Straight up. Steady as, as we go. <laughs> Annalisa Burgos, Hawaii News Now. Well, April 8th is less than two months away, and that's important because there's an upcoming eclipse. And for authorities in Buffalo, New York, they are anticipating an influx of people going to the area to experience total darkness. Ron Plants reports on the plans they're making to keep everyone safe. We and they all know it's coming with excitement for some about being smack dab in the path of totality. But for the state police and other law enforcement and emergency responders, it's awareness of what could happen. We're trying to get numbers on an estimation of how many people would be here. Could be a million, could be half a million. We're looking at that and we're getting, the, we're getting those numbers from previous eclipses in different areas. That might be places like Oregon back in August 2017 when they experienced masses of people for an eclipse. What we've seen in the past at our other locations, uh, you know, people pull off in unsafe areas, it could be on the throughway, could be on a side road, it could be, you know, in an intersection, elongated, looking at this, you know, eclipse, and that's what we want to have not happen. We want to make sure that people are as safe as possible uh, during that two-hour span of time. But the totality of darkness will be about four minutes, uh, just after about quarter after three. So what we want to make sure is people aren't driving while looking at something like that, pulling off of the road in an unsafe area that could get hit by a car. Which tragically actually happened in Kentucky in 2017. Of course, just like the Grand Canyon with past eclipses, they know Niagara Falls will be a hot viewing spot with hotel rooms booked up. It's one of the wonders of the world and then you add the eclipse on top of it. It is a pretty cool area to be in for this. So all of us together with our meetings and information, we're able to at least compile a somewhat accurate, you know, measure of event. They'll depend on public messaging to get the message out. We're working with New York State DOT and Thruway Authority, all those messaging boards, obviously media, social media and things like that to put that out there. But also you have to look at, you know, the state parks or different venues. Sticking with astronomical news, NASA is looking for its next crop of experimental Martians. The space agency is seeking applicants for its next simulated one-year Mars surface mission. The mission, which gets underway in the spring of 2025, will help inform NASA's plans for human exploration of the Red Planet. A four-person volunteer crew will live and work inside a 3D-printed habitat based at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. The habitat will simulate the challenges of a mission on Mars, including resource limitations, equipment failures, communication delays, and other environmental stressors. The deadline for applicants is Tuesday, April 2nd. The mission is a part of NASA's Artemis campaign, which has set out to establish long-term scientific exploration of the moon. So what, Ashley, you want to volunteer to be a Martian? That sounds really interesting, um, but I don't camp well, so I don't think I would do very well. It's a hard pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
I'll yeah, stay here with you. We're good. That works. <laughs> One final story, you guys. A pair of endangered monkeys known for their signature white tops have new names thanks to feedback from the public. Say hello to Taff and Suki. The eight Cute. and nine-year-old cotton top tamarins are sisters, and they arrived at the Smithsonian's National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute in mid-January. Now, to celebrate their arrival, the zoo asked people to vote for their favorite set of names. Nearly 5,500 people voted. So the names are inspired by characters from the last series, Avatar, The Last Airbender. I did not see that one. Mm. Um, so native to Colombia, cotton top tamarins face threats from habitat destruction and capture for the illegal pet trade. The zoo hopes the exhibit will help raise awareness about this critically endangered species. So cute. Yeah. Look, that that they hair look like is Einstein. so cute. They do. Thanks so for watching, everyone. This podcast is sponsored by Kapili Solar Roofing, building peace of mind one roof at a time. Kids City Adventure, Hawaii's only indoor luxury playground. And Long's Drugs. Download the CVS app today and make Long's a part of your day. Pizza. Pizza? Pizza. Hunger for some pizza now? Yeah, that's what we thought. Get yours at Domino's Hawaii. We deliver aloha.